Welcome back to Relative Digressions. Court is once again in session for our trial of Trial of a Time Lord. I'm Thick and I'm adjudicating upon this depraved case of artistic criminality perpetrated in the name of television. And here, trapped against her will in this travesty of proceedings, it's me, Renner. As we return to Trial Over Time Lord and begin to look at the second of the stories contained within it, Mind Warp. You might remember last week that we talked about the mysterious planet and were broadly positive about it. This one may be more of a case for the prosecution. So in the way that the previous one was somehow set in the Doctor's past, this one is set in the present. So the Doctor's costume in this one is the same as the one he wears for the trial scenes. And indeed, we actually see the beginning of episode one of Trial taking place at the end of his adventure here. And that means this is very much at Doctor Who as it was at this time in its life. This is an episode which resembles season 22 Doctor Who. If you heard us discussing Time Lash, we are back in that mode. We are being written by Philip Martin, who wrote season 22's Vengeance on Varos, which really exemplified the idiosyncrasies of that season. And indeed, the villain of Vengeance on Varos, the mentor, Syl, is back once more. That uh, beloved fan favourite character who is in no way an atrocity <laughs> perpetrated on visual media. <laughs> We've come to the home planet of Sil's species, the Mentors. The TARDIS arrives. TARDIS arrives, gets swept out to sea because the on-location broadcast crew had got the tide times wrong. Oh, really? That happened. I mean, it's quite a nice scene, I have to say, but that is quite funny. Um, it is aggressively pink. Yeah, that I don't think was actually a feature of the actual beach. I think that's been uh, done in post. But yes, everything is very pink. It's one of the very few nudist beaches in the country, so they were filming in the midst of a bunch of naked people. <laughs> Just down the road from JNT, as it happens. There's so much to unpack here, some of which I feel I can't say without libeling the dead. Uh, go on. In the caves of Thoros Beta, Syl and the great Lord Kiv, the ruler of the Mentor Society, have a problem. The Mentors, if you're not familiar with them, uh, they're like the Ferengi. Yeah, they're slugs obsessed with prophets. And they have a dilemma because the great Lord Kiv's brain has grown since birth and never stopped growing, which has allowed him to ascend to the highest point in their society, but it's going to kill him unless they can put his brain in a different body, or, or his mind in a different body. So they have hired a classic mad scientist called Crozier, classic mad scientist of the uh, amoral and business-like type, rather than the cackling type. Yeah, he's just here to get a job done. Who is doing Dr. Moreau-style experiments, splicing people's brains, putting brains in different bodies, editing personalities... Right, it's fun for the family. I mean, I have to say, already, capitalist slug has too much of a big galaxy brain, so they have to do mad science on him. All the elements are a really cool plot here. Well, I, I really want to talk about how this is grasping towards what the McCoy era will eventually do much more successfully. But it doesn't quite succeed. What's odd, though, is that the Doctor appears to be on Sill's side. He seems to betray his morals and assist Sill because he sees Sill is on the winning side in the galaxy 
and he's done being the person he used to be, and now he's out for himself, and he abandons Perry, who is left on her own to survive the adventure, or she would be on her own. But it's okay. Except that here to save Perry and And all of the rest of us (laughs) from the torment of 90 minutes of Sill is Brian Blessed as King Irkanos, the Krontep warrior. (laughs) And yeah, just to be clear, he makes this episode uh, because they broadly said to Brian Blessed, you are, as far as I can tell, you are a berserk warrior king. And then just sort of... You are a great dog of war! Is what they said. Uh, indeed. And then he just sort of went wild on the set. I'm sure he had a script, but... Brian Blessed is here to be the full Brian Blessed. This is not that long after Flash Gordon, and he has only increased in volume. I think he's even wearing a costume quite similar to his Flash Gordon character. The whole thing is very Flash Gordon in a lot of ways. Yeah, and that's very much the energy that Brian is um, drawing on here. Retreat! So the weird thing that is happening here is that the Doctor appears to be, well, on his own side, but working with Sill, and Perry appears to be out in the cold. But the Doctor in the present present, that is in the courtroom, is saying that's not how it happened. Or possibly, he thinks, maybe that is how it happened, but I had a plan. But his own memory of the events is foggy. And the resolution of the story is very strange, actually. Well, the story isn't resolved, actually, which is, I think, one of the reasons it feels so strange. Well, it is resolved, but not by the Doctor. What happens is the Doctor suddenly becomes Doctorish again, and now he's back on the side of Brian Blessed, and he's going to rescue Perry, and it seems like we've got the old Doctor back, although... We still don't understand why he was so undoctorish for most of the story. And they're on their way to save Perry when a beam of white light sucks the Doctor into his TARDIS and takes him away to stand trial, leading straight into the first scene of The Mysterious Planet. So the Doctor is suddenly, like, edited out of this episode of Doctor Who, and then the Time Lords use a bit of time bubble trickery to unleash Urkanos. Perry actually has been killed, and her brain replaced with Kib's brain. So Kib is now in Perry's body. Urkanos bursts into the laboratory. I I think you're not emphasising quite how significant that moment is. But uh, to be honest, the story doesn't give you a chance to sort of process, Perry just died? Okanos goes mad and kills everyone. Kills Perry. Well, he doesn't kill Perry. Perry's gone. He kills Lord Kiv, who happens to be in the body of a bald Nicola Bryant. Uh, indeed. And yet, I mean, Perry dies off screen, essentially. And the Inquisitor justifies this, that Crozier's ability to transfer minds is a science that would derail the course of time so they've manipulated Akarnos to kill everyone. They can't have two sets of immortal races walking around. Exactly. That's our job. And they seemingly don't care that Perry is dead. But there are a lot of questions raised by this story. Questions that we won't get the answer to for 
another five episodes. Right, which this is broadcasting how often? Weekly? Once a week. Once a week. So it's it's So you've got month. to wait a month to understand what you just watched. And I want to say, I have a lot of problems with Mind Warp, but the final episode is a real fast-paced, head-turning, wait, what's going on? What's happening? The Doctor's been pulled out of the adventure. He's not going to save the day. Perry is dead? Everyone is dead. What the hell? And it ends with a fantastic cliffhanger where the Doctor turns the tables to an extent and says, no, something else is going on here, and he intends to find out what. But it's going to be another month, if you're watching this when it airs, before he does that. And Mind Warp is a full story, in a sense, but it's a story where the Doctor is a villain, for some reason, and Perry is dead, and you're left going, what? You killed Perry? We had to act. With the discovery that Crozier had made, the whole course of natural evolution throughout the universe would be affected. But Perry died, Doctor, because you abandoned her. We had to end her life because your negligence had made it impossible for her to live. Lies. There's something else going on here. The High Council has no right to order Perry's or anyone else's death. Please, Doctor. I was taken out of time for another reason. And I have every intention of finding out what it is. So, Mysterious Planet was essentially a self-contained episode with the trial framed around it, right? Yeah. But this is, like, the two things are inextricably entangled. And the way that trial is bound up in this episode in such a way that, A, it changes the episode, but B, you cannot fully grasp everything that you see in this episode until a larger story has unfurled, reminds me of the way that the arc of season five is tangled through the time of angels. Yes, because when I think of that two parts, the first half is self-contained, but the second half isn't. Yeah, exactly. The story ends after a fashion, but the presence of the crack is in fact external to the story, so you don't actually have a complete understanding until the wider arc is resolved. Quite, and indeed, we see the Doctor from the Big Bang. Yes, which is, I think, akin to these mysterious scenes here that we don't yet have the context to understand. And this wasn't true of Mysterious Planet, and it is not true, actually, of Terror of the Vervoids. But the thing with Mind Warp is because it ends with the Doctor being pulled into the trial narrative, that's really one of the big things that makes it inextricable. Yeah. And if we view trial as the, the time I was watching an episode of Doctor Who, it's like they've pressed pause on the episode of Doctor Who that we're watching and pulled the character out to some kind of like meta Doctor Who level and the Doctor's had to watch as the adventure kind of ends without him. But it's not just that the adventure ends without him. The Time Lords specifically manipulate the ending. Right. They do exactly the kind of meddling in the outcomes that they're accusing the Doctor of doing, in fact. It helps that it's so well-paced, that final episode. And also, Nicola Bryant really sells the uncanny Perry but not Perry aspect. They really sell that this is just something really, really strange. The whole thing feels unsettling, uncanny, but it makes it quite hard to watch, actually. Right. So on note of it being hard to watch, I think this is a good point to talk about Philip Martin and that 
season 22 ethos. Because if this is a representation of the present of Doctor Who, Philip Martin is very much a writer whose writing embodied that present, that season 22, Vengeance on Varos style Doctor Who. Well, he, he only wrote Vengeance on Varos and Mind Warp, right, for the show. Well, mm, he only wrote two that made it to air on TV. Right. He wrote three stories for TV, but one was for the season 23 that Michael Grade nixed, Mission to Magnus, which he did then publish as a novelization. Uh, involves Syl and the Ice Warriors. It's deeply problematic. See, he really liked Syl as a character. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was his creation, and he owned it, which obviously plays a part. Yeah. He's also subsequently done Doctor Who audio dramas for Big Finish. Apparently, he also wrote Invasion of the Ormozoids, which was a choose-your-own-adventure Doctor Who book, which I sort of want to play. The running trend of Philip Martin stories is that they all involve grotesque, thoroughly unlikable aliens, usually still. Nobody is likeable, everything is very violent, and the female companion is horrendously tortured and then transformed into a mutant in some way. That happens in every story he wrote. So did it happen to Perry in Benjamin Salvaris as well? Yes, Perry gets turned into a bird. They mention it at the start of Mind Warp. Ah, yes. I, I just have a lot of questions. Was there something he was working through? Why, why was it he returned back to these themes? So here's the thing. From what I've read from him, he wanted to actually be a writer whose writing said something. Right. He was trying to talk about dark and distasteful and unpleasant sides to life. Again, in a way that the McCoy era was much more accomplished at. He had a complaint that Eric Sayward had edited Varos too much, and he would add more comedy as a balancing factor in this script in the hope it wouldn't get so heavily edited. And in fact, Eric Sayward edited everything except the comedy out, which he wasn't very happy with, because in his opinion, Mind Warp should have been much more dark and less comic. And indeed, one of the, I think, the problems with it that's really interesting is that it has a dark setup, but actually the tone is often very light. Whereas I think that's probably the only thing that saves it from being completely dire. No, because for me, I think it's the weird tonal mismatch... See, the problem, I think, is that he wanted to say something, but what he wanted to say was actually... Bad. Well, I don't know what he wanted to say. I, I couldn't tell you what he wanted to say. I think he wanted to make a Hostel movie. Right. Before his time. When Martin talks about his ideas, he sounds like he's an intelligent writer describing some quite intelligent ideas. It's just that what's then on the screen just doesn't seem to fit with it. When he talks about what the mentors are meant to be, that they come from this planet that has actually got no resources of its own. So they play the stock market because essentially their only wealth is illusory capital because the planet has no actual resources. And that's why they're so dedicated to profit in the stock market, because capital as a nebulous concept that is not on a gold standard or any resource standard is the only way they can survive. They've got no material so you're, standard. You're saying that actually Mind Warp is a protest against fiat currency. I, I mean, literally, that is what Philip Martin says is the idea behind oh, the mentors. man. Sil would be really into Bitcoin. Like, you see, this is the thing, is like, you keep coming around to like, but actually maybe these ideas do work well, quite well. It's just somehow they don't. 
And the strange thing is that, and maybe this is coming from Sayward, and that might explain it, but certainly at the beginning, he does appear to be skewering season 22. Right. Perry and the Doctor have just come from an off-screen adventure and they're talking about incredibly violent warlords and Perry specifically talks about how they leered at her and sexualized her and they have ridiculous names like the Tonkomp Empire. Right. So it seems like he is satirizing season 22, but he wrote season 22. I mean, not all of it. He wrote Some of. A, a story that very much exemplifies it. Right. So is he satirizing it? Did that come from Eric Sayward? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know what was Eric Sayward and what wasn't. But we are seeing here, obviously, some of the last work he did for the... Would you call this Saywardian? I mean, it's more Philip Martin. But Philip Martin was a Sayward-ian writer. There is a certain lack of taking account for the story. All the stuff about the Doctor acting out of character. Colin Baker asked Eric Sayward about it, and Eric Sayward said, I don't know, Philip Martin wrote it. He asked Philip Martin about it, and Philip Martin said, Eric Sayward told me to put it in. And he eventually went to John Nathan Turner, uh, and John Nathan Turner just said, decide for yourself. Yeah, that that is a really bad sign, isn't it? Yeah. And, and also, at this point, all of their shootings kept overrunning, going over budget. They kept having to do extra days. Sets weren't being erected. And t- like, if, you, if you've heard some of the stories about sort of the first season of RTD... Who? Yeah, there was a similar kind of issue surrounding Mind Warp, like setting up the TARDIS prop when the tide was coming in, not when the tide was going out. That just shouldn't be happening. That's like your bread and butter of putting together like a production. I have to say, I liked it more this time than the first time I watched it by quite a lot. I didn't like it, but there were long stretches where I was enjoying it. Yeah, I think it's the third of the four episodes that really it felt like it began to sag. So I think the fourth episode is actually very well accomplished. I agree, yeah. The third episode has Brian Blessed at his blessedest. Uh, no, you're, you are correct, and, and that redeems it on that basis. Yeah, so I, I suppose in, I, it's somewhere around episode two, episode three then, that it felt like I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, it's like it keeps not quite clicking together, and it's occasionally doing stuff that's just a bit like, ugh, not sure about that. And the funny thing is, every now and again, you pan away to the Inquisitor saying, Railyard, this doesn't seem to be hanging together very well, and I'm not sure about what we're watching. Huh? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've not worked on much, but that is a part, in fairness, that was messing you during going, this is sublime. Not good, but sublime, in the sense of just, like, like as an individual serial, I don't think it's very good. But there is something about the fact that the trial elements, the fact that every now and then we stop it and go, this is a bit of a rubbish episode of Doctor Who, isn't it? Yes. It almost needed a couple more of those moments. My favourite one is the start of episode four, where at the end of episode three, Perry gets shot and falls over. And at the start of episode four, the Doctor says, is she dead? And the Veilyard says, no. And the Inquisitor says, well, then why are you showing us this? The Inquisitor has no time for these nonsense false peril cliffhangers. Thank you. I mean, I'm going to sort of uh, show a hand here that maybe I should be keeping more in my wraps of the ultimate photo. But the reason I like Trial is actually I, I'm here for a bit of indulgent Doctor Who commenting on Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, me too. And I think that part of what I liked this time that I missed the first time 
is that there is a level of that going on. This whole thing of, is the Doctor who he used to be, or has the Doctor changed? Like, is he more violent than he used to be? And the thing is, I kept going, like, I can't tell if it's on purpose or not, but some of it definitely is. Yeah. The epitome of the out-of-character Doctor stuff, I think it's been said, this is the bit where Colin Baker starts to go, hang on, I need to understand what's going on here is this scene where the Doctor interrogates Perry and the original cliffhanger would have been a freeze frame and remember the the notorious violent freeze frame cliffhanger to The Deadly Assassin of the Doctor raising a fist to strike Perry. Goodness. Which which just feels like (sighs) very near the knuckle. It's very much the problem I had with Time Lash and I said it at the time. But then again, isn't that supposed to be the point? This is the Doctor's present on trial. Uh, it's, oh, it's too meta for me. It's too meta. Uh... It's really hard to tease apart the threads. Is Perry dead? No. Then what was the point of showing that last sequence? I did have one question, actually. How was it received at the time? Like, at the, Do we have any notion of how it was being received as it was being broadcast? What did people think was going on? So it ended on 5 million viewers. What did Terror of the Verroids get for its first episode? Okay, so and then next week, 5.2 million viewers. So it doesn't seem like it caused any great gossip. But I think Doctor Who just at this point wasn't causing yeah, it Yeah, it's not like people were like, oh, did you hear what happened on Doctor Who? I mean, it probably was like that in fandom. But that 5 million viewers already includes all of the fandom. Well, which I have to say, I worry that's not dissimilar to where we are currently with Doctor Who. I'm not, I don't think I agree, actually. I think at the moment, the people watching the show are not the fans. Hmm, I think it's a section of the fan base. But I actually meant in the sense of, like, I can't remember what happened when The Timeless Children came out. I'm not sure, did it, did it, did it really get any kind of common outside Doctor Who? Whereas I'm sure I remember some stuff happening in this sort of big period of a new Who. That sense of it being a cultural zeitgeist thing. Yeah, but I mean, the BBC is just... You can't just compare the episodes. Just the marketing machine around the height of the RTD era generated the hype. You, you almost didn't need to air the episode. I suppose that's part of it, right? Who buys a Radio Times anymore, let alone gets a Radio Times cover. So anyway, we're, we're, we're getting off piece here a bit. Yeah, right. So do you know who Mind Warp's one big fan was? No, go on. So you'll recall that Robert Holmes' script for The Mysterious Planet got something of a savaging from the head of drama, Jonathan Powell. Yes, I do. Um, Are you saying Jonathan Powell liked Mind Warp? In the very same message where he panned Mysterious Planet, he ended with a comment basically saying, Mind Warp's good, though. It should be more like Mind Warp. (laughs) And in specific said the characters of Erkanos and Dorf illustrate what's wrong with Glitz and Dibber. Glitz and Dibber should work like Erkanos and Dorf because they have more dignity to their characters. That's that's a really interesting comment, isn't it? This is the man who would eventually cancel Doctor Who. You kind of think that they were actually on a hiding to nothing. When you look at that, this is the head of drama and he's going to go on to be the controller of the BBC in a year or so. And he, he's like, no, screw Robert Holmes. We need more Philip Martin. Get rid of Glitz. Give me more... Sill. Erkanos. I mean, okay, give me... I, I'm down for give me more Erkanos, but... Right, but... Yeah. I don't think they could have won. No. 
No, I, I think the cancellation of Doctor Who was actually almost um, implicit in the environment. The thing is, though, I have to say, I don't know what a good version of Mind Warp looks like. I think I know what a good version of Mind Warp looks like. I think I've alluded to it several times. I think it looks like the Happiness Patrol. I think it looks like season 25. So I sort of struggle to imagine how you would actually achieve that, like how much you'd have to change, what you would keep. Well, Sill is neither the first nor the last in his mould of Alien that Doctor Who has done. And certainly something like the Sunmakers does it much more effectively. Although, obviously, Sill is really popular with a lot of people. Oh, sure. I have to say that Nabil Shaban plays the character very well. It's just that he's a... Right, he plays it with relish. Right. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm doing down the actor here, because actually he plays what is quite a grotesque and horrible character really well. It's just that he is, both in his appearance, he's how he acts... He's just very grotesque. He's just... He is just grotesque in almost every sense of that word to the extent that it makes him quite difficult to watch yeah his little sort of like tongue laugh yeah and as much as i don't really like sill he's not necessarily badly placed in this story he definitely works and he's very clearly defined because as much as i really don't ever want sill to return to our screens at the same time the other day i found myself thinking Gosh, he would fit right into a story about high-frequency trading. Yeah, I mean... You know who still actually really reminds me of? Go on. Cassandra? Oh, yes! There is literally a bit in this where Syl tells his bearers to moisturise him, like to spray him with some water. Indeed, and because he is uh, mostly immobile. Right. Yeah. And Cassandra isn't quite... Like, Cassandra is a specific symptom of unabashed capitalism taken to an extreme but they come from the same universe essentially and in fact when you think about it when cassandra comes back it's in a story all about swapping bodies and moving minds around so what you're saying is that i need to pitch the sill cassandra crossover story that we've all been waiting for of course famously he has reappeared in his own spin-off movie in the last couple of years <laughs> Yes. Honestly, if, you, if you've seen any of the Devil Seeds of Arador, you you do kind of wonder why why Chibnall is the guy running the main show, why we haven't handed it handed it over. Well, in fairness, Martin himself uh, passed away at the end of last year. Yeah, Philip Martin did, we should mention, uh, pass away not very long ago. Yeah. The problem is, like, as as bad as Syl is, in, in, the, in the badness which is like... Can we not? He he doesn't represent the badness that is Mind Warp is a bad serial. Yes, uh, that I completely agree with. It's more just that it doesn't hang together as an experience. How nice to see a familiar face again. Doctor, and I, yes, your revoltingly ugly assistant. Age has not improved you since Varoff. And from you, that's a compliment. A lot of Syl's dialogue here is padding because the episodes were underrunning. Right. And actually, I think that for a character like Syl, he's probably hardest to write for when he has to do plot mechanistic dialogue. Yes. Uh, but if if he just, like, does be Syl for a bit... Just have him burble. <laughs> like, actually, that that's when he's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, his dialogue is very funny, the way that terms like profit and stuff and the, the figures of speech. 
I am kind of sold on this world building about the mentors having a world that completely depends on the nature of the market to survive. There is something actually very clever there. I, I do like how he's also a middle manager, like Kiv is the boss. Yeah. Because it's not that he wants to betray Kiv. It's just that he is trying to get ahead in the workplace. Yeah. It's quite clear that he would not be trying to save Kiv if he already knew all of Kiv's secrets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that he's trying to get rid of Kiv. It's just that, like, you know. Actually, I feel like Syl probably would assassinate Kiv. Uh, Kiv is played by Christopher Ryan, who you have actually also seen in Modern Who. But you wouldn't know, oh. because here he's in the prosthetic of a mentor, well, actually two different prosthetics of a mentor, and when he appeared opposite David Tennant, he was Stahl, the <gasps> undefeated. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, King Urkonus-style Sontaron. And actually, gosh, I really think that King Urkonus needs to wage war on some Sontarons. <gasps> yes, yes. Oh, he is the same. Oh, the eyes are the same. You might also know from The Young Ones if you've ever seen The Young Ones. Uh, I haven't really seen The Young Ones, no. So funnily enough, in The Young Ones, he plays the, like, hyper-capitalist Thatcherite one. Right, yeah, yeah. I wrote down when we talked about Terror of the Autons, Sill is the Autons of the 80s. And I was looking at this note earlier, being like, what the hell did I mean? What did you mean? I think what I was saying was that you know how we talked about the Autons and that they represented 70s fears of the faceless yeah. industry. Roger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is fears of... The untrammeled, capitalist, Machiavellian, slippery, grotesque thing. Yeah. So when was Mind Warp broadcast? Uh... Oh, wow. Okay. So actually, this is really interesting. So do you know what the Big Bang is? Uh, yeah, it's the finale of season five. <laughs> In the context of finance? No. So on 27th of October 1986, which you'll notice just after Mind Warp is being broadcast, Basically, the London Stock Exchange rules changed in ways that the city stopped being like old-fashioned banking wealth and was enabled to be the world financial centre and investment banking and everything that it is. You know, how do we get the global financial crisis centred in, in, with, with all the stuff happening in London? Well, to a degree, it happens because of the deregulation that Thatcher essentially brought in. Uh, this had been coming for many years, but that's this is when the rules were changed. And I just think it's really interesting that at the same time that is happening and is really current in society, you have still, you have this. Yeah, I really strongly feel that Trial and Mind Warp in particular are grasping toward what the McCoy era did with much more aplomb. In fact, the other season 25 story that is very similar to The Happiness Patrol is The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Uh -huh. And The Greatest Show in the Galaxy is about old faceless gods who demand entertainment, forcing Sylvester McCoy to flounder and caper wildly to try and find something that doesn't bore them in a very jabbing at the BBC again way, that's almost exactly what JNT is doing with Trial. Right. Only it works a bit better? 